0: I got swine flu. By the time you've lived through it, it's just a good story. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Travel Tales Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Siegel. Thanks for listening. My guest today is Jason Cochran. Before we get to Jason, I do have some announcements to make. And one is that you go to our website... That is TravelTalesPodcast.com. Go there and see photos of our guests, see their stories and what they're about, see things that I've written, see things that some of the guests have written, and also see links to our guests' websites and social media. And uh, speaking of social media, you can see links to our social media, and that is, of course, Podcast on Instagram, Travel Tales Pod on Twitter, Travel Tales Podcast on Facebook, and there are links to Stitcher Radio and iTunes. And if you're subscribing to iTunes, I do ask that you please give us a good rating because that helps people find the show because it boosts our presence, and that's always a cool thing to do. If you want to write me, maybe you'd like to be on the show, maybe you know somebody else who'd be great for the show, or you just want to say nice things, you can write me at TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. Once again, that's TravelTalesPodcast at gmail.com. All right, so Jason Cochran was a guy that I would run into at uh, various travel events around Los Angeles. He works for Fromers, the uh, famous travel guide books. He's written numerous London travel guides for Fromers, and he also hosts a weekly radio show for them. He started out as a journalist, backpacked around the world for a couple years, came back, and found himself in the travel industry. And has been writing and traveling ever since. We've been trying to work out this interview for a while, and I'm glad we finally made it happen. Please enjoy my conversation with Jason Cochran. Down to London. Down to London. Gone down to London to be the king. Well, Jason Cochran. Hi. What kind of... You know your business card... I don't have it in front of me, but would you say you're uh, mostly a writer, or would you say you are a a radio person, or what do you call yourself these days?
1: Well, my business card says editor-in-chief, which I guess is the third thing. That's impressive. That sounds very impressive. I'm more like, uh, I I consider myself a writer, but um, obviously got into editing because it's on my business card. Apparently, I am. And uh, also now a radio host of the last three years. But I think, yeah, I've always thought of myself as a writer first, probably because that's what... I started doing when I was younger. I guess, you know, like, like all of us, it's an original right. perception of ourselves.
0: Are you working solely for Fromers now, or do you still freelance other places?
1: For the most part, just for Fromers, because it takes up so much of my time. But I do freelance pieces. Um, but the last year or so, I've just been dedicating myself just because of time. So where did it all begin? Let's start from the beginning. Which beginning? The Cochrane The Cochran like? story. <laughs> Which beginning? Okay, uh, I was a corporate kid. I tra- you know I traveled every four years. We moved to a new location on the East Coast, so uh, I think I was already used to traveling at a very young age. But um, I went to college for journalism.
0: Um, Me too. Yeah, where'd you go? I went to the very prestigious Northern Illinois University. I was
1: in Illinois too. I was in Northwestern.
0: Oh, see. Yeah. I wish I had a dime for every time in Hollywood someone said, oh, you're from Chicago. I went to Northwestern. Did you go to Northwestern? <laughs> no, I, I didn't say like, that. <laughs> no, they, I did
1: not. They did not uh, uh, let me in Yeah, LA, for a number of reasons. The entertainment people, there's like a Northwestern there is mafia. A, there is one, yeah. Not so much for the journalism people. We sort of, it's not, there's not like a secret handshake or anything. We just sort of discover, <laughs> oh, you too. Yeah, what, yeah. what went wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> there are a few of them, though, for yeah, sure. There are. Yeah, so I went to Northwestern for journalism and... Uh, and I doubled in music theater. Strangely, wow, uh, you know, because it was something fun to do on the side. Because the journalism people, I didn't always love hanging out with them. Yeah, they're they, were, they were fire truck chasers and, and you know, right, humorous people. Like, I need jazz hands in my life. That's I would what just, you yeah, I just want yeah, I wanted some <laughs> more fun, and, and definitely the theater people were fun. So um, I did that, and then I went to grad school in New York City. There was a conservatory writing program for music theater. Every two years, they accepted 14 people every two years, and I was one. there were seven people who did words and seven people who did composing music, and I was accepted as a words person. So I went to New York to NYU to do this conservatory program for a couple of years, and that's sort of how I landed some more and more interesting than Evanston.
0: Right. Now, is Northwestern, is that the Keck School of Journalism?
1: Medill. 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 What's Keck? Is that the medicine? Uh, I don't know. Kellogg? You thinking of the business school? Yeah, maybe I, I am. I don't know. Since I didn't go there, I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so it was but N- it was, NYU. It's, a,
0: it's a really pretty well-known Northwestern journalism. Yeah yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good school. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, back then, it was. I don't know what it's like now. I think it's still pretty respected. But back then, and I think it was great training. But back then, they would flunk you if you so much as misspelled a proper noun once. <laughs> Seriously, you'd be flunked for the for the. We had trimesters. You'd be flunked for the trimester. So you, there was a, there was rigorously put into you. You're responsible for your own information to be correct. Which was a super useful thing that I don't think a lot of people are trained to do much anymore. Yeah. And I think, you know, in the intervening years between then and now, a lot of people worked with fact checkers and they just figured they could turn in something that's sort of close and someone would fix it. But in the last four or five years with the internet a lot of people have done away with their fact checkers because of low budgets. Yes. So it's really useful now that daily newspaper training has come back, thank goodness, for me. And I honestly think it makes editors more willing to work with me. I know I'm willing, more willing to work with people when they spell things correctly. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Isn't it's that a, a pet thing. peeve? Because I started,
0: I don't know about you, did you start newspapers like I did? I did, yeah. Yeah, I did. I worked for a newspaper chain outside of uh, Elmhurst. Uh, outside of you know, in so your were you O'Hare. like a
1: beat reporter, like covering murders and stuff. No,
0: I didn't. I was did sports and features. Oh, that's that's the place to be. That's yeah, I mean, there's no the pressure gig. there. But still, and I tell people now when they talk about fake news and things like that, even though I w- wrote for some dinky little weekly paper about you know high school and junior college sports, I still had a fact checker. You know, you did. I did. I still had an editor. And people I never had a over fact my checker. Stuff.
1: I worked. A <clears throat> at I a couldn't daily just paper. write anything. No. We never, but I had to be right. Yeah, and you had to be right in a a small paper, those dinky papers, even more because there's more eyes on you, and each story means a lot more to the people who you're covering. Yeah, but uh, when I I, by the time I was working in papers, I was at the Sun Sentinel in Fort Lauderdale, bigger city. They had the Miami Herald competing against them, so uh, although the stories meant a lot to the people, there were still there weren't as many eyes on it in a way, not as much pressure, but I had to be right. Yeah. yeah, You had to be right, and I take it as a point of pride In fact, you know, I, eventually when I moved to New York I started working as an intern at the Village Voice Ooh, cool It was cool, it was, it was right kind of when it was beginning its decline And it wasn't my fault that it began it It was just like early 90s, okay. I was not powerful enough to have I'll much of it I it got part. to New York in 96 so. Okay, I was there, uh, I got there in '90. Three And was working at The Voice by 94 The editor was named Karen Durbin Who was a really brilliant writer um, Through the 60s and the 70s And she was given editorship of The Village Voice And I worked as her assistant's assistant <laughs> <laughs> But you get in somehow, right? Yeah And then pretty soon I was working with Ross Whetstone Who was uh, the theater uh, editor there. He was also another brilliant guy. He was like mentioned in Nabokov's writings as one of his favorite students when he was young. He was one of the guys who invented the Obie Awards. He was a big dude. But while I was at the Village Voice writing theater reviews for Ross, he got non-Hodgkin's lymphoma oh. and uh, he's, he, you know, he passed on not long after um, I think I started working with him maybe a few months afterwards. He was, he was not in the office a lot. Um, but it was a great place to start because the, and at the Village Voice they also put a lot of A focus on being right and also having an original viewpoint and you know so often you find when you're young and you're starting writing you're just trying to get the gig and you forget to bring your own opinions and your own perceptions of you know, what the trend you're covering actually means and how it fits in. You're just so happy to be there. You're not really putting on that extra layer of intelligence. And the Village Voice, that was part of the DNA.
0: So were you writing um, hard news? Were you writing...
1: Uh, the Village Voice, it was, just, it was just... uh Yeah, it was just soft news, which oh, was okay. also nice, too, because... Well, they did some investigative well, they stuff. They did hardcore stuff. Yeah, now Net- yeah, And yeah. some other people there were... And this is the di- Giuliani years. Yeah, right, right. And this is... Right, this is the 90s, when Giuliani was really quite hated in New York City. People forget this, but... Yeah. He was not everyone's favorite And it was only 9-11 that redeemed him in one day As a, someone who stood up when no one else would Well, anyway, he was a favorite to a lot of people Not, not in the not, village not, at my, not in the village voice My tax bracket <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly <laughs> Anyway He had his fans in other parts of town So um, I, I left the village voice to go to Entertainment Weekly And I was there for about four years Okay uh, Because I was entertain- interested in entertainment writing um, You know, I guess lots of younger people Are more into pop culture And I was um so and I did some fact checking there on top of writing. So again, right back in the facts. So it's still important to me. So this was a lot of uh, celebrity interviews and in that We're kind of celebrity of interviews, uh, a lot of taking other people's writing and double checking, you know, the spellings, but it was great because when you work at Entertainment Weekly and you need to call Steven Spielberg's office for to check some information, you get a call right back. Whereas, you know, we go to other outlets you call Steven Spielberg's office and the phone never will ring again, even if you need to <laughs> right. have some information. So it was it spoiled me to a degree. And this was in the heyday of the nineties when magazines had Tons they had a lot of, of money. money. Entertainment Weekly was yeah. probably top of the heap. It, it was won, them and people. won the Ellie that year, which is the American Society of Magazine Editors Award. It's like the Oscar for magazines, yeah. if you care. I didn't, but they won it. I used it. to subscribe. They, they threw a lot of weight around. Yeah, when any, anyone like got promotion or left, they'd have what they call a pour. And everyone would sort of quit work at seven, and they'd bring in tons of booze and free food and pile them on the table, and <laughs> everyone would gather around and just eat and drink. Uh, and you get a car home. In Manhattan, even though there's a subway, even if you worked past, I think, 730 or 8 o'clock at night, you could have a car home.
0: I worked at VH1 at the time. Yeah. Um, that was my first TV gig. So, so. that was
1: Times Square, too, wasn't <clears> it? <throat> no,
0: it was... All, well, the Viacom building's yeah. in Times Square, but our studio was like 11th and 50th or oh. something. There was like no man's land. Old man's we had, home here. We had, that,
1: that was rough back then. We in the day, had to yeah. walk
0: all the way to 9th just to get lunch. There was nothing around where yeah. we were.
1: I think the stables for the horses that sure. go around... Yeah. The Central Park cows. were
0: right next to us.
1: Yeah. So Now um, it's the Inc. 48 and yeah, yeah, yeah. fairly well in la ti and you can't afford it.
0: But I remember when I got hired there, I mean, it was my first TV gig. I was a VJ there. And I got, I was there for 13 weeks. And, but the best perk was a car service. A car home. We had when car service. 11th, that's the only way you can get something I lived to take in the Brooklyn. Job. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, even better. So that was a haul. And I used to fall asleep. And my roommates loved these vouchers. I mean, we... Yeah, yeah. I remember. That was living. This is pre-Uber. and pre- So to get rides around New York was living, man. I and, thought I'd made it.
1: And then it all went wrong.
0: And then it all went wrong. <laughs> so when did the travel thing come well,
1: in? I, I burned out on Entertainment Weekly. Okay. It was a great place to work, but I wanted more. I was always interested in traveling. On my breaks, I would you know, spend my entire three weeks in South Africa or whatever, Um, and at one point I was furloughed for a couple months and I just took it went to Europe because back in those days though they still are the corporations would do shifty things with the paperwork they would they would they would throw you off the books after about a year and a half, so they wouldn't have to, you wouldn't click into getting benefits. Yeah. So that's what they did to me, and I said, "Well, if I'm going to be thrown off the books for a while, I'm going to go to Europe and I'll backpack." And that's when I would stay in a little grandma apartment in 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 nineteen ninety five Prague. You know, this woman who just come out of communism and was making extra money by having strange young men sleep in her room. She was incredibly brave. You know, but things doing things like that yeah. that you did. You know, yeah. But I, I wanted to travel more, and I burned out. I, I remember waking up stock still in the middle of the night. One night I lived on lower Sixth Avenue by King street and I stood up at three in the morning and I suddenly was worried about CBS and the ratings and CBS was doing very poorly in the nineties. And I thought, wait a minute, what the hell do I care about CBS <laughs> yeah. in the ratings? Um, and I said, I'm, I, and so I quit. I went backpacking around the world for two years. Two years. Two years. I figured I would go for a month, and then I thought, well, if I'm going to go a month, I might as well go four. And if I'm going to go four, I might as well give up everything and go for as long as I can. Two years. Okay, well, let's do this. So, what year? Are we, what years are we talking? We're coming up on the 20th anniversary this year, which makes me feel super ancient. It's okay. 1998.
0: 98. So still, the internet really wasn't. Maybe you had an email
1: address. At no. This the nice time. thing is, I actually was. This sounds like I'm bragging. It's a strange thing to say. I was one of the very first travel bloggers, in that 1998, I was hand-coding through HTML my journals. Because H- there was no what you see is what you get. There was of no, there, yeah. there no freaking, you know, WordPress. So you got a website. So I literally had a, a, a space on a server uh, out of my IS, my uh, internet service provider, and I would literally hand-code in HTML and take pictures, scan them in. <laughs> H- yeah, literally. You had to do it the hard way. It was like quilting. And then and – so I left my – that's how I stayed in touch because no one carried – It was right at the cusp of people carrying cell phones wherever they went. Yeah. What was the name of it? Um, It didn't have a name at first, but then I had a car accident when I was in South Africa. And my car, basically, I bought a VW Bug. Its brake cable snapped. I went flying into an intersection, unchecked, but ran sideways into a pole. So, that I sort of grazed my car and stopped it. And on the pole was a metal sign In Afrikaans, that's I'm going to say it wrong for people listening uh, who speak Afrikaans. I'm sorry. (laughs) "Stap which means "step quickly across," because that was the sign for pushing the button for the. So this piece of this giant metal sign from like apartheid era was sitting in my seat next to me when I came to arrest. And that became the name for my blog, Stop Fine which was step 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 quickly quickly across. Across. very catchy. I like it. Yeah, but back then you didn't need to have a brand. It wasn't, it was just, a, you had a blog so that your parents knew you weren't dead. <laughs> exactly. And yeah. people could follow along yeah. with your friends. Exactly. And I wouldn't get any free stuff yeah. out Where's of it. Where's Jason this week? Exactly. And then they could always read what would happen to me after the fact so that they don't stress <laughs> out. They know I'm alive. You know, I'm glad I, they couldn't follow me in real time. Otherwise, I think a lot of people would have been pretty alarmed. So, other than
0: the accident in south africa what were some of the uh, other lowlights of this two years did you ever like consider oh, there, was, there
1: was food poisoning mostly highlights you know there's
0: food poisoning you'd have to go these things you go through as a i do know but being. were you ever like uh, anything stolen anything any border uh, crossing in south
1: africa at, at a hostel in coffee bay you we, we all put our money in the safe and we come in the morning and most of our money has been taken by the staff <laughs> who was <laughs> left in the middle of the night but being a very suspicious backpacker to begin with, I think many around the world backpackers are already suspicious because they have to hoard their money. We, I only put part of my money in there, so I didn't lose everything. What um,
0: – were you mostly focused uh, on a certain region? Were you, was it mostly no. Europe or was it – I mean, in Africa I did, I did about
1: it? three or four months in Europe, but I didn't want to stay there because it was going to drain the resources yeah. too fast. Yeah, So um, – you know, I spent some time in London, but had friends who lived in Beckton, which is almost in the ocean, in the east okay. of London. It's terrible, but uh, I stayed with <laughs> them. Anyway, I, I went to the to the festivals in in Scotland. I you know went a few, few other places in Southern Europe, in Spain and Portugal, but then just got out and I went down to, to Africa, did the whole bottom quadrant of Africa, and then hopped over to Mauritius, India, Nepal, oh Bangladesh, and then Thailand down to um, Hong Kong, and then uh, Australia. New Zealand, and then when I landed back in L.A., I was from New York. I decided I had to do America the same way, and so I did. You remember the green tortoise? I don't even know if it's still around, but it's uh, it a. It was bus? like a backpacker bus. Yes, bunks I in do. The bus. It might still be around, and um, I took that from oh L.A. to San Francisco, and then clear across the country, and got off back in New York. <laughs> so that was how I ended it. I thought I have to give my own country the same disrespect I gave every other country. <laughs> so I mean, so was, I didn't spend anywhere. Nowhere, longer than three nights, except for the segment that I spent a few months in Cape Town in the middle, just to take a break. Was it mostly hostels? I mean, almost all hostels. I can't think of a real hotel I stayed in, maybe except in India, where either I could afford it or I met some rich person who didn't want to stay alone for the night and let me hang out. Hotels are rough enough in India. I mean, a hostel I can't imagine. Yeah, I don't even know there weren't many hostels. They're like YMCA type things, (laughs) right? But you, you know, you don't need. With the value of the American dollar, I didn't really need a a hostel. Well, in terms of highlights, were there any kind of uh, moments
0: that you remember just getting blown away, like this is really life-changing kind of place,
1: or something you really didn't expect? It seems like it happened again and again. I get just sort of like a prevailing color of those two years. Obviously, freedom. But, you know, things going very slowly, me able to sit at a table, write in my journal, have a couple beers and not need to be anywhere. Um, that to me was like everything. Cause the more I could think and write in my journal, the more at home I was, I'm, I'm I think I'm more internal and I'm more of a writer. I know some travelers just want to conquer every mountain and, you know, squirt all of their adrenaline at every moment. And I would more of a step back, see the picture, feel the vibe type of traveler. And so that was really good for me not to have to be anywhere. And literally I wouldn't decide where I was going to go until the day before the only, I had a few pegs, you know, my flights, that I had arranged, I had to be in a certain city by a certain day. But otherwise, it was all up to me. And if someone said a good suggestion, "Hey, go to Mount Abu in India," yeah, okay, I'll do that tomorrow. So I just, I just, I think I loved the being able to do it as what I wanted to do, more or less.
0: So uh, as you're going along the way and you're writing this blog, and did they even call them blogs back then? I don't even.
1: Uh, what was, I called it? it my writing website, your journal. I yeah. Think, yeah. <laughs> so w- were there plans to turn this into something like maybe a book? Or I had a lot of people tell me that it should be a book. But I couldn't reconcile it in my head. I'm like, I'm just another guy who went on a, on a trip. Is how I felt about it. I didn't, you know, there was no, you know, a lot of bloggers even today think they're being revolutionary by saying, this is a story of someone who quit their job and went traveling around the world. But it's not, that's your angle. That means something to you. But it doesn't mean the same to everyone else, frankly. It's sort of like listening to people's bad airline stories. You know, it's it's something that was like, put you through the mill and you certainly was important to you. So I didn't think that my story was was necessarily something worth sharing. I need to have something a bit more of a construct.
0: Do you go back and look at it now at, and you look at those
1: journals yeah. and
0: what, what comes
1: out at you now? Some of it is like, ooh, that wasn't as bad as I thought it was, the writing. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I'm like, um, I can't believe I was as brave as I was. Like, I wish, you know. as we get older, we get a little bit more neurotic. And I'm not saying I'm crazy neurotic, but I am noticed like when I had no compunction of jumping out of an airplane, when now I would probably think twice. <laughs> Still do it, but think twice. <laughs> where'd you jump? That j- was in Nelson, New Zealand. Yeah. In the northern Usually tip of the southern New Island. Zealand. Either that or Bungee. Was I went hang gliding there. Well, I didn't want to do it in, in like India because, you of know, course. standards. Yeah. But I want wanted to do like it in a beautiful place. Yeah. Because like, the point of skydiving is to take your time and enjoy and to look around. Unlike bungee jumping, the point of bungee jumping is to tell God he can't kill you. <laughs> So if you're going to skydive, pick a beautiful place because you're going to be up there for a few minutes and you want to take a breath and be thankful. And I, th- so that was a highlight. You know, right. when I thought so I would, I, all my family was like, I can't believe you did all these things. You were such a, a nervous child and they couldn't reconcile the fact that I had done these things. But it seemed perfectly normal to me in the moment. And, um, and every now and then I had an awareness that I was doing these things I never thought I'd be able to do. And that's how I planned the whole trip to begin with. I made a list of all the places in the world I never thought I'd be able to see. Because you know I was like 20 something, and I wrote you know Sydney Opera House, Taj Mahal all these things, and then I went and saw them all. That was how I designed my trip. I it was sort of the bucket list idea so when you see you know people that are uh, we' are roughly
0: around the same age, I think, so when I see people now who are doing the exact same thing you did, like taking off for two years, yeah but now they're doing you know they have their Instagram feed, they have this Twitter they have they're on snapchat they're on all these different platforms they're trying to make a business out of it and some are doing it and getting it paid for and everything like that. Do you look at them with jealousy or do you go, man, I'm glad I didn't have to do that because now if we were
1: doing it now, I'm not jealous. That's for sure. Because I think to work that hard um, at showing people how you're feeling, how are you really feeling it? Right. If you're always thinking of how it looks inside of a frame, are you really doing what you ultimately would do if you didn't have that force upon you? So I, I, I won't say I couldn't do it, but and I know that some people that's how they fund it. That how that's the only way it can be possible. So great. But I was thankful that I had worked two jobs. I had another job for a, uh, on top of Entertainment Weekly for a, a Microsoft listings website that wildly overpaid me <laughs> because it was the '90s, and I socked it away and used that money. So I was lucky to have these funds that I could use. And when I got home, I was broke. But I didn't have to work during the trip if I didn't want to. And that's so it was pretty a, good. It was a luxury. It was a luxury that came out of the the first dot com boom. You know, and bust. That I wasn't. it wasn't not a. It didn't get an IPO or anything. Like, I just got a check that was too big, which they don't do anymore. But it enabled me to see the world. So well, these thank you, you check and not uh, stock options. No, with didn't somebody's get other like places. That. I came back and I was goose egg. I had nothing. I didn't have. You know, I had a storage unit full of stuff. I couldn't believe I still owned. How but much anyway. do you think you still all all told? How much do you think it cost you roughly? Not. Not that much. I mean, technically, for two years, I don't, I can't, I don't know. This is too long ago. For me. Did you have a budget, like a certain amount of day? No, day I'm just, I'm good with money in that I sort of have a sense of how much I have and how the thermometer is going down, but I don't do the books. Was there ever like a screw it moment? I'm going to, I'm going to splurge in some place. It'd be something like A skydiving. Okay. You know, which would have been probably $200 or something like that. And that was a lot. That's a lot for a backpacker. Oh, yeah. Usually backpackers is like, no, nah, can I just hike somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> so that would, that would be one of the moments, you know, uh, or doing the bridge climb in Sydney. Sure. You know, it's a bit of a splurge, but it's a splurge because when are you going to do it again? Are you still in contact with a lot of people you met? I wish. Time? You know, I got all their email addresses, but they're all dead now
0: after <laughs> 20 years. <laughs> the people or the email address? <laughs> no, the, the email addresses. Oh, thank God. Okay, that would be you know, it, tragic.
1: Yeah, you know how it is when you meet people, because when you backpack, it's like falling in love every three days. I know. You know, it's like a, you have to cram all this relationship in just a few minutes Knowing it's going to die. It's but like, pre-Facebook, it, it was a lot harder to stay in touch with yeah. people. I mean, a few of them I'm Facebook friends with. Yeah. Um, but some of them I can't even remember the first place that I met them. They've, <laughs> I've known them now so long by Facebook that I know them now. And some of them have done really well for themselves and some of them just vanished. So you come back from this after two years, you're
0: broke. Uh, did you still have a plan that say, okay, well now I think travel writing is going to be my
1: thing? Nope. <laughs> okay. No, I'm much more loosey-goosey, I suppose, because I don't think even if you have a plan, they don't ever happen the way you think they're going to. I came back. I had literally nothing. It's Y2Ks happening. I was, I, yeah, I got almost. <laughs> it was, uh, And I got into an apartment of a friend in New York City. I was paying $500 a month because he had moved out to become an actor mm-hmm. in L.A., and I got a call the next day from someone at a game show. There was a new primetime game show. They needed people to come work on them. And this woman who ran the writers' room knew that knew me from Entertainment Weekly because she had been a librarian there. And it was Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. <laughs> I was just going to say yeah. if it was Who Wants so to Be I a Millionaire. So I worked for the Regis period during the you know back when it was like on the cover of big. every magazine. Oh, it was huge. So I went from Entertainment Weekly to traveling around the world to my show was on the cover of every magazine. What was that out here or in New York? That was in New York. They shot it in New York. Mm-hmm. Oh, because Regis was still on the air in New
0: York. Yeah, that's yeah, right. Yeah, so he would go at night to Yeah, okay. Yeah.
1: Got it. Yeah, and yeah, in the evenings, yeah.
0: He would do Kathy Lee in the morning, do the Kathy Lee thing with him. Okay, mm-hmm. got it.
1: But the trick is we weren't allowed to tell people where we worked. It was part of an NDA that we signed at the time. Because they were super you worried about, it a, or something? about a about a twenty one quiz show type scandal. They were oh, really worried about right. someone pressuring the writers for the answers and you know. So we're, a couple of people slipped out of the net and, and told, but we were just encouraged not to talk about it. And we were behind a locked door with a code on the door, and the magazines would come sliding under the door every day. Oh, we're on the cover of USA Today? Oh, we're on the cover of Newsweek? <laughs> Thank you, writers. No one ever thanked the writers. And uh, yeah, it was, it was kind of a, a, a cushy job that everyone wanted to talk about of the people who knew, but also one of the worst jobs I've ever had. Because when something's that big, they know they got you. They know that if you quit, if you're not happy, if you want more money... You're out and look at someone else tomorrow. And anyway, so I put my, my I sent out my uh, my clips, my resume to anyone I could think of in the travel writing world. I figured, okay, I know how to write and I'm a good journalist and I hope, and I, and I just have traveled, so I know a lot about that. And so I sent to like concierge.com, which was Connie ass thing, and I sent, I sent everyone. I sent one to Arthur Fromer and forgot about it. And like four or five months later, I got a call and they needed someone to help with their website. Uh, there was a website even back then and this is 2001 maybe? 2002? The Frobers website. Yeah, yeah right. When it was owned by wasn't it called Wiley then it was called Hungry Minds I forget. It was the book company. And um, yeah, so I show up I, he had an office in the Empire State Building uh, on the corner and um, I was expecting an oak office you know some guy sitting behind it like the you know, guy from Monopoly with a... You know. Yeah, right. And it the was... Monocle. And it was... I don't know if you've ever seen Big Arthur. Big globe and you know, yeah, maps he, everywhere. He looked like a, a high school science teacher. or You know, just like, <laughs> like an average dude with, on a glass desk with, a, you know, just a sheet of glass with pat, piles of paper and his secretary assistant sitting like five feet away in the same room and they're just sort of barking at each other. I'm like, this is Arthur Frommer? <laughs> but anyway, he hired me for reasons I'll never understand but will always be grateful for and... Um, that's what started me. My first assignment, uh, true travel, get paid to travel assignment was to go to the Galapagos Islands, which is not a bad first gig. No, I still haven't been. It's yeah. expensive. This is what I was waiting. I was waiting to go to Japan and the Galapagos Islands until someone paid me to go. <laughs> yeah. And eventually it happened. It's a good way to go. Yeah. It's and the best did. way to go, actually. When it, was, it was my first assignment. I had, my job was to go to Quito and then go to the Galapagos Islands with a wad of cash and try to buy a boat because you have to see the, the islands, buy a boat with a naturalist guide try to find one last minute to see if I could get a good deal on a last minute ship rather than if you book ahead, you pay three times as much. I don't even know if people still do this. It was a crazy idea, but I went with a wad of cash and my second day in Quito, I'm shopping all the travel agencies and these kids come out from behind me with knives and they hold the knife in front of me and say, give us money. And I'm here on my very first assignment as a travel writer with a big amount of money (laughs) in my money belt. And I panicked. I ran into the street. It was a, one of these busy, busy streets in Quito's new town. Cars flashing by me, not stopping, because who wants to get in the, involved with that? So I was just yeah. sort of darting in between the cars, and the two kids didn't want to come out to try to finish the job. And so they ran. <laughs> oh, my God. It was the stupidest thing I ever did. I should have just given them the money and you know shrugged. But I kept the money and uh, <laughs> eventually finished the story. But so, I hate Quito now. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So was the story uh, for... It was for a guidebook, yeah, because Arthur at the time, um, he had the he was associated with the books, he had sold the books, but it was like you know, had an arrangement where he would do talks and things like that. But he edited the magazine, our budget travel, mm-hmm. which was owned by Newsweek. Catherine Graham, who was in the Post, yes, you know, yeah. Meryl Streep's character, um, agreed to purchase Budget Travel magazine in sort of her last years, uh, running the company, and it was underneath the umbrella, it was Newsweek Budget Travel. So, this is back when Newsweek had some cachet left. And um, so we were an umbrella of them. So I was doing stories for them in the magazine, running like writing two or three articles a day for the website. It was like an early HuffPo, <laughs> just yeah. grinding them out. <laughs> uh, but basically my job was to tell people, if this deal was good and this deal was, it was all about money and all about value all the time. And then it, I was pulled over eventually to the magazine itself where I became senior editor. And oh, so I was there boy. for a few years.
0: Okay. So I always wonder about this with um, travel writers and especially people that work on guidebooks. Like, do you go there with, uh, I guess, undercover? Uh, because now? once they know that you're right, well, you they're going to try to impress you and they're going to try to steer you a certain it's, way. It's a case-by-case. Case, and it, by your favor, basically. changed
1: a lot after 9-11. Where you used to be able to walk into a hotel unannounced and say, here's your business card, I want to see four rooms, and then they would show you, and they didn't have time to prepare, so they, if you watched, one of my favorite movies in high school was The Accidental Tourist, Mm -hmm. and it's about a guy who writes guidebooks to London, and it's weird that I loved that movie when I was 16, (laughs) because now I'm a guy who writes guidebooks to London. And I watched this movie. I'm like, oh yeah, that's how it is. He would march into a hotel, and the hotel manager would accompany you, and you'd check the bed and check the toilet set. So that's what I would do. But after 9/11, in the years following, it, hotels became stricter with their security, and they don't want you marching in off the street. How do they know who you are? So sometimes you have to make an advance reservation, especially or to let them know, especially if it's high up on the on the food chain. If it's like a four or five star hotel, especially in London. You know where very important people stay at these hotels. You can't just waltz in and say, "Show me a room." You can try. I've many times said, "I'm having a family reunion," or "I hate the hotel I'm in. I'm changing," but it doesn't always work anymore because, especially in London, they're very, they're very tight. They're very security oriented. Would you go to these hotels and just look at a room and not stay there? Just go. I just want to hear this all the time. And I justified it by saying they're going to make money. If I put them in the guide. So right. I'm still, even if I didn't tell them what I was doing, I'm doing them a favor. What I did feel guilty is if I saw it and I hated it. Yeah, negative It reviews. smelled bad or something. And I didn't. We don't write negative reviews, which is one thing I'm grateful for. When I was in college, I was a theater critic. And I, when I had a bad review, I'd feel like crap afterwards. I made a dent in something that people would work so hard to make shiny. And it's nice that when you write guidebooks, you don't put things you don't like in there. You're, you guide people to what you do like. Um, The only people you have to explain it to is the hotel or the PR person or whoever it was if you had made an arrangement with them to see it to begin with. I always wondered, I used a a lot of Lonely Planets when I was first
0: starting around, but you would notice that the the restaurants and things that
1: they would recommend got really crowded really fast. And that's also Lonely Planets' fault because they, they should be checking them every year to see if their standards have gone down. But that's one of the problems with the guidebook business is that in the past 20, 30 years, almost all of them don't pay royalties. You know, they, they give you a check. It's not a very big check. They say, whatever you don't spend in researching this is your pay. And so that encourages a lot of people to just pick up the phone and say, are you still open? And then hang it up again. And in Lonely Planet was especially bad. When I was backpacking, in most of the countries, we kind of knew country to country which ones were good and which ones weren't. It was just sort of the scuttlebutt in the hostels. Like, oh, get a different book for that country. <laughs> but like in India, we didn't even call it the Lonely Planet. We called it The Book. Is it in The Book? And it was Lonely Planet, giant, you know, doorstop of a thing. And it was, it was very good. It was edited well, and they took a lot of care of it. It's a, it's a, and it happens all the time. It happened when Arthur was at his peak in the 60s and 70s. It happens now with Rick Steves. I'll go into hotels and um, they'll complain bitterly about whatever the hot guidebook is. You know, I was at a place and the owner's like, I keep sitting at breakfast with my guests and telling them, do this, do this, do this, because they're good. And they say, oh no, that's not what Rick said. And they'll just do what the book said. So it's, I guess it's human nature. I guess some people, Need a little hand-holding, and that's great. That's why we're all here writing, because people need us, right? Mm-hmm. But it does create a problem in standards. Certain places decide not to keep them up. So,
0: what is Fromer's angle? I mean, when when they set out to do a guidebook, what is, what is the Fromer's way? Right. I mean, are they appealing to a certain demographic <laughs> well, or a certain
1: kind of travel? It's shifted... Many times over the years. When he started, it was Europe on $5 a day in the late 50s. And this is a time when the middle class had never been able to vacation in Europe because it would have taken them a couple of weeks to get over and back on the ship alone. No one had that kind of time. The jet had just come in in 1957, and that's when Arthur's book took off at the exact same time. So he, he was trying to make Europe affordable for the people who weren't debutantes living out of trunks. And so that was cheap, Europe on $5 a day. Over time, uh, as Frommer's the guide brand became more popular and more ubiquitous, it really started to cover all all levels of income, you know? Gradually as Arthur left the guidebook and sold it in I think the late 70s early 80s, it shifted a little more upscale so that our parents would use them, but we wouldn't. When I was a backpacker, I never used Fromers me when I either. applied That's to a budget never... travel magazine. I picked it up. I said, "This isn't budget travel. This is all package tours." To me, it was backpacking was budget travel, so it wasn't even my kind of. Bu- so I had to learn that we're writing for in the, in the, in the I think in the, in the zero years we were writing for um, probably college educated people who had a little bit of money but not a ton, um, who wanted just to know how to use their money better. But it's not strictly budget anymore. I don't even have hostels in any of my guides anymore because people find those when they need to find them. They don't, and and also standards change all the time pretty quickly. A hostel that's great this today can be terrible in nine months. It all depends who's running it at the time because they you know they have a lot of volunteer staff. Mm-hmm. So we tend to be more like the places that are a product that really need to be reviewed. You know, it's what we tend to review right. the most informers, but it's all levels. There there was a study done. On them, the market of budget travel magazine, and they found that it, the demographic most aligned with the reader of Smithsonian magazine, which shocked me, college educated, maybe even advanced degree, probably had seventy or eighty thousand dollars, but just didn't want to spend it like a fool. It's sort of like they want to know the bottom line, but they may not go to the bottom line. Yeah, advertisers had a hard time understanding that with the word budget. In the title, so they're trying, and, to, and they steer away. Think,
0: oh, that's just kids. But,
1: yeah, know. they went. So the the name would scare the advertisers, but it was it was a flag to the readers that they were in the right place. It was it was a problem, right? Right. It was a little. They weren't in agreement. Um, but yeah, it Arthur at my very first interview, uh, said, look, and he said the average American makes thirty six thousand dollars a year, or whatever it was. If you're a teacher and you make thirty six thousand dollars a year, and you've always dreamed of going to Paris. The job of our our job here is to make it possible to show her or him a way that's to do it affordably, so that they can go and expand their minds and bring that expansion back to the United States, where we need to have our minds expanded. We need to understand other people. For Arthur, at least the way he pitched it to me in the interview was, <laughs> um, it was sort of like what Rick Steves tr- says with his travel, travel as a political act uh, book and speeches. Now, it was like by doing this, we are helping. A lot of people in the country have better lives and we're helping society, American society in, in particular, uh, to be more diverse, more expansive, and most under, more understanding. Obviously, that's more in need now than ever before. I don't think that there are a lot of truly budget travel publications anymore. Um, it's all a little bit more middle of the road. And I think that the rise of the influencers and bloggers, they tend to be more um, focused on experiences and luxury, even if they don't have the money to do it. Um, which is a bit of a, a problem because no one's really covering that bottom of the market very well anymore. It's hard to make it, this travel possible for people who don't think they can do it anymore. So how
0: does a, an older brand like Fromers, when they see this new generation of like, you know, websites, a TripAdvisor, things like that, and how do you compete in that and what was their plan For performers it's all,
1: and I can't speak entirely for Arthur and Pauline, who still own the company. But I think it's about trust. It's about oh, okay, someone's been to these places. Now there's so many questions about user generated reviews and who's stuffing the ballot box and who's (laughs) writing because they had a bad experience with a clerk once and who's who's a rival Yelp saying nasty things just because it's a rival. Yeah, so it's. I don't think personally. This is my own personal point of view. I think people are very quickly growing exhausted by the information available to them. I think it's exhausting to pour through 80 pages of TripAdvisor reviews for a restaurant. And, you know, people just – when it first happened, when we first had this available to us, it was like, oh, great, look, we have all this info. And now people are just tired. They just want to know where should I go. Eat lunch. And I think that's, uh, there's an opportunity there of like, we're the person, we have been there, we have now, we are not a directory of every hotel in town. This is, a, this is a list of 40 of our favorites. We've been to all of them. So you can trust that because you know there's a person behind it. We don't take money for our reviews. I know there are even some magazines that cover places because they received a check. We don't do that. Um... And I, I, don't, I don't think everyone necessarily even knows that anymore. Even some marketing and, and PR people sometimes write me thinking we can do some sort of tit for tat. Like, you want to stay here for a few days in exchange for editorial? And I have to explain the difference between what we're doing, which is kind of journalism or consumer reporting, and influencers, which is yep. really what you want, if, yeah. if you're going to pitch me that.
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. So if so, you go to the, the Galapagos. Yeah. That's your first trip. Uh, did you decide, and now you're focusing almost all solely on London?
1: Now you I'm, as a writer. No, now I am, but but that's, I do I mean, two I books to, a year, and okay. so I have to go there every year. Is, but no, back, I did everything. I went to Slovakia, I went to Croatia, I went to Rio, I mean, all over the place. And you saw, especially with Eastern Europe and Central Europe, the change yeah. has
0: been... Yeah, it was
1: right when when things were waking up when croatia was like discovered by the germans but not by the americans yeah and i wrote an article about croatia like oh you should ride down the coast and you should visit the national park and then croatia decides to award me with guide with a journalist of the year award <laughs> simply like it was a pr stunt for their their bureaucrats you know they bring you in they trot you sure, out yeah. but that was the, that was where croatia was back then they were just so glad that no one was mentioning the war and now they're overrun now they're it's another kind of war. <laughs> yeah. I was just in Login, yeah, Croatia, which I loved. It was beautiful. It's a beautiful. great place. Yeah, I loved it. I really do like Croatia. I think it's still, it's still sort of, you know, there's, there's, there's European famous and then there's American famous. Yeah. And you could say Croatia is overrun, it's over with, but almost none of the people who aren't in my travel world life have been. So how overrun is it really? I think there's still, there's still more to be discovered among people,
0: you know? Yeah. Yeah. Where would you, let's, let's get your opinion now on Europe for now what is one country that you say is underserved and underrated that more people should check out
1: I tend to break it down more into cities I think Madrid never has gotten enough celebration I love Madrid I love Madrid I think it it, because everybody goes to Barcelona yeah yeah. which is great nothing to take this is not an LA New York thing they're both (laughs) great Girls, you're both pretty. And mm-hmm. yeah, Madrid, I love Madrid. I think it just more people should go. For a while, it was sort of marooned in there and it was hard to get to by rail, but now all the high-speed rails are in and there's no reason that people shouldn't be enjoying M- Madrid. It's cosmopolitan, gorgeous architecture. Sometimes it feels like Paris, but it parties like Spain. <laughs> uh, food's fantastic. So I think Madrid is underrated. Yes, I could have said Barcelona too, but it's pretty well rated. Yeah, because yeah, but Barcelona gets cruises as well, which tends t- to bring its stature up. If, if a If a cruise ship goes there, you know, people are now more likely to know about it. Yeah. And it also that's way, how way more crowded during the day. Right. So I, I'd say Madrid is a big one. Um, I'd say there's still some little bits of, uh, of Poland and Slovakia that no one really goes to. These little towns that are just still, to this day, eager for tourists because they're just so not considered part of the track. You know, these little towns in the Tatras and Zakopane and Olmots and all these places, um, they're pretty good. You know, and if you're looking for Europe off the beaten track... You know, obviously, there's then we can get into Romanian stuff, which I haven't been to yet. But um, in Western Europe, I think we're, we're kind of almost going full circle that people have been so hungry to find the little place in the countryside that they're ignoring the cities all over again. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I especially th- the cities have changed so much in the last 20 years, too. Um, that, you I mean, know, Berlin is one the of the suck- hottest, up. you know, coolest, hippest places around the world now. LA? Berlin. Oh, Berlin, yeah. Yeah, well, well, Berlin was. And the first time I went there, it was like, ooh. Well, first time it? I was there was in '95, yeah. and it was a completely different planet. I went; the wall was up when I went. Wow! I was at the '89, the last summer of the wall. That's I went something. through checkpoint I Charlie and all that. of it. Yeah, it was weird. Yeah, and now the checkpoint Charlie they have isn't even the actual yeah, it's like checkpoint a fake, Charlie. You know, these guys in it's costume. not the same spot yeah. no. But Berlin, yeah, no, Berlin has really changed in a way. Berlin has very much reclaimed Berlin from the '30s. The anything goes Berlin is sort of back. Uh, it just went into weird how something can go into hibernation for generations. <laughs> yeah. How do the people who are young now realize how to pick up where they left off in 1933? It's pretty amazing. But yeah, Berlin's Berlin. I, love, I, I, I think the rest of Germany doesn't excite me very much, partly because the Americans bombed it to smithereens and it's not authentic anymore, but partly just like, you know, it just feels a little corporate sometimes mm-hmm. to me. What's uh, one place that you kind of
0: steer people away from, if there is one, like they say, maybe they're going. there. Oh, I do. you, go, you don't I need do to go to Germany. They're
1: like going go to Munich or Frankfurt or something like that. It's again, all the Germans listening, don't worry about it. I love you. I think it's a great place, probably to live. But I just, I think there's, uh, I think there's so much more in Europe than Germany. I know some Americans have always wanted to go there, and they go just for that on their first trip to Europe. And I'm like, what? You missed Venice. You missed Florence. <laughs> you, 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 yeah, you missed Nice. I, actually, I don't love Nice, but you know, it's still part of the tapestry, and it's a very different color from Germany so um, I'm not going to diss Germany but it's a little you know how did you come to and Brussels who loves Brussels yeah I was in Brussels it's sort of like the Detroit of, uh, you see the of little, Europe it's the okay little boy to make pissing. fun of it. you see the statue of the
0: little boy pissing yeah. and then you have some fries and then you're out of it yeah. you drink some good beer and then you're out how did you come to London being the like your main focus now because I, I love London, but I mean, I'm, certainly the language has got to help.
1: I just always think, uh, I hate the word Anglophile. It just it feels, feels shallow to me. But when I was a kid, I had these great uh, books by the uh, Automob- Automotive Association, the AA, in Britain, which puts out these beautiful books of, of Britain. I had never been, but I would read them constantly. I had three or four of them. I just look at the pictures, and I would dream of being there. It was just something that I yeah. re- resonated with me. I got hooked and, through Monty Python. Let's well, see. No, that's legit. I think, <laughs> yeah. you know, this and is movies and TV. This you know, is how James a lot Bond of us and, choose the places we want to go. When I, you know, one of the reasons I decided to take my world tour is mother Teresa had just died and I was watching on CNN people running across a park to get to her funeral. And I thought, I wonder what it's like there. What does it smell like? What's the air like? What's the light like? I would love to know what Calcutta is. And, uh, that's why I started. I didn't actually go there on my trip, but I didn't get to Calcutta either. But it, but it, what did it inspire me to see the rest of India? So anyway, I think that's totally legit. Yeah. And, but anyway, London, like in 1986, I think I took my first trip there. It was one of those school groups, ACIS. You know, the teacher is your is your chaperone, and you, oh, get, yeah. you get to see them doing things like drinking a beer before. Yeah, I've never seen teachers. That's <laughs> exciting. A beer yeah. Um. So I, that was my first trip, and it was a much, much, much different country back then. You know, these on, are on the Sundays, Thatcher years. Everything shut down. It was. Uh, the meat tasted funny. Everything was different. I mean, you know, it was, yeah. it was, there was carpeting in the bars. What? Yeah. Now a lot of these things are gone and changed and it doesn't, you know, you could still hear the reverberations of late, of early sixties rationing almost it's in the eighties, <clears throat> but it's uh, now London. Yeah. The economy M- London has not changed good. almost more than any city I can think of, at least culturally. The bones of it seem the same, but everything that's happening within the city is completely different from what it used it's to be. It's the most, I mean, one of, if not the most like diverse
0: City? I mean, I've been to it in quite a while. I mean, yeah. New York is right up there, but I mean, London is...
1: You mean in terms of the kinds of people who live there? Yes. Yeah, I think London is, and New York and Toronto, and these are little miracles in that people of all different colors and, and religions are living together peacefully, happily, with one common purpose, not killing each other. This is something to say, you know, if you look back at the not-so-distant history. It's kind of a miracle that these cities can... And to a degree, Los Angeles, you know, I think <clears throat> there are only a few of these places in the world where. There's such an incredible diversity, and yet people are not murdering each other. And I think that happens because when you know your neighbor, you don't want to kill them. You know? yeah. You're more likely to want to kill someone else when you're in another. And that's another reason why I've always wanted to be the travel writer in my career is because you introduce someone to someone who's like them, there's going to be less conflict because there's now understanding and not the fear of the other that politics is always preying upon. Give me some of your top
0: favorite spots to go to in London. And, uh, and how about your new hotspots? <clears throat> what
1: about new right. areas? This is you something like? I'm proud of. It's not quite a hotspot. Uh, what actually it is, it's the Thames River. I'm, I am now the proud holder of a mudlarking license. Okay. <laughs> I applied for it with the City of London. Mudlarking. Mudlarking. mud-larking. Okay. So the Thames is... XTC's a- it- third album, I think, is
0: mudlarking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> no, that was skylarking. I'm it's sorry. as yeah. much... Um, A river as it is, something estuary. It's like a a tidal. The Thames goes up and down an immense amount, like 15 meters or something, every single tide. And so the mud on the bottom is churned up every single tide and exposed every single tide. And the Thames has been used as a dump for 2,000 years, since the Roman times. So things are incredible things are being churned up with every tide. And when low tide, you go down and you look down and you see... You know, Roman pottery, you know, Renaissance coins, leather shoes from, you know, the 1200s, uh, I entire Jack the Ripper bottles, you know, <laughs> pipes. I, uh, well, you can't find a lot of animal parts down oh, there because there was, a, there was a rendering plant on the north side of the Thames. They dumped teeth and bones. And so you're wondering, is this human or is this, this a pig? This has got to smell awful. It's not that bad. Okay. You're not supposed to like, touch your eyes because right. it was also used as a sewer all those mm-hmm. years. Um, but you have to get a license. You didn't used to, but now you have to get a license. So I go down with my little booties on. Put your wellies on? You put your wellies on? I, it's, remember those like, rubber things that go over your shoes? That's yeah. what I do because they're light. Okay. You can pack them. <laughs> uh, and, and I just, for a, a few hours before the tide comes back in and threatens to murder me quickly, I, uh, you know, I just sort of, you can dig around a little bit, just a tiny bit. and You can pick stuff up. It's incredible, the beautiful stuff you can find. Where do you usually stay there? I it's usually a ho- every hotel every two nights when I go. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. I hotels are greedy too because if they're arranging to let you stay, for example, they want all your time. Like you're going to eat at our, at our restaurant, you're going to meet our per- and it's exhausting. And then when you're changing every two days, those are a few hours in the middle of the day that you can't do daytime touring like all the attractions you have to do. So I increasingly I'm going I try to like find a friend who's going to be away or you know. And and guidebooks again, they're not as lucrative as they once were. And so you have to make the dollar stretch if you're going to make it worth your while. So now you've
0: been there so many times. How do you keep, keep it fresh having to go back to the same places sometimes?
1: Um, there's always more history to discover. I'm a huge history buff. And, I, mean, I mean, to the point where I wonder if I don't love travel as much as I love history. And when you go to places, you're basically immersing yourself in other people's history. I begin, I've thought of, sort of wonder that. If, if travel isn't really what I do because I love history. Um, so uh, there's always more history to discover in, in London. And things are always shifting slightly. <clears throat> yes, sometimes there's a sense of just going around the bases. Um, back at the British Museum, okay, there's a Rosetta Stone still there. I'm moving on. But <laughs> new tours, new, ex- new um, museums are always opening. Things are always being discovered. You know, they'll, they'll put up a new building and discover new Roman ruins and make that a museum. And there's all sorts of – there's always interesting. And there's always something I didn't know. Because London is, you know, you have 2,000-plus years to work with. Um, so it never gets boring. I'd much rather be immersed in a place than just dive in for a week or so to do a magazine article and then dive out because you you become, you know, more, um, sympathetic with it. Is is your average stay there about two, three months? I'm about about a month and a half to two months. Sometimes it'll go twice a year. It'll add up to about two months. Um, and obviously, every minute I can't be doing something. Sometimes you just have to stick around and, and see what pops up, you know, yeah. and what you hear about. Because <laughs> that's how I find out about a lot of things I end up writing about. Is, oh, did you hear about, you know. What's the place? latest trend there? What's, what's, what's big? What's happening now? They keep finding Brexit. new. new <laughs> yeah, they're terrified about that. <laughs> I know. I it's going to really friend. decimate the hotel industry because a lot of the people who work in the hotels are from the continent. Years ago, they were Spanish. Now they're somewhat Polish. Poland, whoever needs the money at the moment. Yeah, and uh, you know if they're not going to have good work agreements, it's going to be a problem. And plus, corporations are already announcing their intentions to flee and to go to Frankfurt. So, like UBS is leaving, and other ones. And without that customer base for these five star hotels, it's a big question mark about what's going to happen. So that's super in flux. And don't forget, Elizabeth. You know, she's near the end of her reign, and that's going to wildly change. What the country feels like when you're there. Um, I don't think none you of us can anticipate. Yeah, absolutely. I'm I'm, yeah. You know, there's, this, there's always a sense when things change, when there's a new leader. It does pervade the rest of the country, as we have all discovered. Well, yeah, you know, but it, I it, mean, she doesn't really have power. I mean, she's. No, but, but there's an identification with her. Some people, I know that the, the anti monarchists are not going to agree with me, but when we, you know, they're going to have to change all the mailboxes. They're going to have to change all the money because yeah. all that has her initials on it, you know? Yeah. So much is going to have to change. And there's a question of if it's going to be Charles's country for long and then William's does country Charles for long.
0: A, Charles, is it, dude, would he even want it now at this point? I mean, if you're him, did you, just give it to William and you know, just for a few retire. years maybe. I don't. I just think to he say probably, you were king. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he poor wants guy. It. He's you know, he's, he's waited like so long. Something now. Yeah,
1: right? he's like seventy.
0: Yeah, I feel sorry for him. I yeah, really I do.
1: Uh, but but I think the Brexit thing is is a bigger oh question yeah mark. It's, yeah. it's a
0: big deal. Um, every time I go land in London, my first instinct got to get Indian food. Yeah, what is your uh, Indian food recommendations? I like the Punjab House, Punjab, Punjab Restaurant. House. It's, it's not it, at the Brick a, Lane, is it? No.
1: Okay, those, those are the tourist places. are planes. mostly uh, Bangladeshi running Indian restaurants. Okay. No, this is at the top of Neal Street in Covent Garden, right north of Seven Dials. It's been open since I want to say forty-seven. Uh, in two different, this is the second location. I think it moved like in like fifty something, but it had you know one of the first um, places in uh, London to have like a tandoori oven. This is right after, right around the. Right time after of the partition. war. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and so it was a big deal. It was, sort of a st- they, it was originally established near the brand new embassy that India had had, and it served the people, you know, who were just now sort of getting, learning the ropes on how to be a diplomat in, in the UK, their former masters. And now it's just a great place to eat. And there's stuff that I can order off menu because I've been going for so many years. <laughs> Punjab a house. Pomegranate lamb that I just think oh is God. incredible. It's like this sweet and yet sour, and it's a beautiful thing. Sometimes they make it, and sometimes they look at me like, I have asked for a hamburger, but yeah. it depends on which waiter I get. But I like the Punjab House, and it's near a couple publishers, so you'll hear, you know, uh, authors talking with their agents and stuff now in in that place. It's it's a good place. I, I I kind of it's my necessary go to when I'm in London. Also, uh, not Indian, but I go to um, the Brasserie Zedel, uh, um in Piccadilly, and I always get the uh, steak tartare. Okay, I, uh, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Nando's. Yeah, Nando's <laughs> is good, but. It's uh, not specifically British. No, I, I used know. to eat there in South Africa, too. So.
0: I used to get them in uh, the airport there. The, um, so where is there a neighborhood that we should stay at that, because London can be very pricey? Yeah. Where
1: is uh, a place with some good hotels that I won't pay super top dollar? No, The cheaper, newer, fun hotels are now a little bit more East End, Whitechapel, Spitalfields. They're popping up here and there. We're at the Spitalfields markets there, which is very nice. Yep. Yeah, I got to... The restaurants uh, and everything. Yeah. And um, I tell people not to do Earl's Court, Baron's Court. I think that's... And Paddington, Bayswater. They're kind of done. And now the people who stay in those hotels are what people call tradesmen, which are people from other countries coming in to do a job for a few months. You know, they're not really tourists. And uh, so they're they're almost like guest houses of the old days. So people who, like 10 years ago, you'd say, Earl's Court. And it was just now, because the Eurostar started coming in around St. Pancras, um, a lot of those sh- hotels that were once shabby tradesmen hotels have turned around and are now serving tourists and have upgraded so that 's another good spot and it 's east there 's like six tube lines that go out of uh, king 's cross saint pancras so that 's not a bad place to be. Or East End type stuff, because things have changed so rapidly on the East End. Not as much to see in terms of sights, but there's more nightlife and good food. And you can, it's not too hard to get around from there. Yeah.
0: What about day trips? Because I went to Blenheim Castle, Blenheim sure. Palace. Which is where uh, Churchill uh, grew Churchill's, up. Churchill's uh, boyhood home, yep. which is
1: uh, pretty impressive.
0: Yeah, this is not, He did they not come a from money.
1: humble origins. You know, origins. his mother was American. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. a Downton Abbey situation. The father was destitute. And he married Elizabeth McGovern, essentially. And yeah. And Jenny they needed money. She lives in Brooklyn. She was in Brooklyn. Her name was Jenny. And she, apparently she was one of the most charming women of the late 19th century, or, yeah, mm-hmm. apparently. Uh, so, yeah, that's right. People never want to say that that Winston Churchill was half American, but John Lithgow belonged in that part <laughs> in the crown. <laughs> Yeah, um, that's not bad. It's a good place to go. Um, Brighton is always a nice little day trip. Brighton's okay. I don't know if there's much to see except for the palace in Brighton, but people like it. Yeah, uh, you know, new things that have opened shore, up in the last know, few years. Is Bletchley Park recently opened? That's the secret code base that you know the um, what's that uh, the, the, War the Imitation rooms? Game oh, that Benedict Cumberbatch right, yeah, yeah. was in. That they just a couple years ago opened that up. Okay. so that's a good day trip, and also not too far away, you can go to the Harry Potter. The Making of Harry Potter at Leaveston, which is at the Warner Brothers Studios just outside of London, okay. and see all the sets. A lot of kids now, like teenagers in early 20s, love that place. Oh, sure. Yeah. So that's actually become a popular day trip. It'll take you most of the day. Mm. Um, people used to go to Oxford and Cambridge more than they do now, but Windsor is also great because that's sort of the nerve center for the crown. If you're, if you're a monarchist, if you like the queen, the king... Um, that's, that was, that's the Queen's favorite castle, not Buckingham. She just goes there when she has to. She'd much rather be in Windsor. That's where she met the Obamas when they came. That's where she'll be buried. That's where Harry's going to be married uh, in Windsor. So that's sort of where the action sort of is for the Queen, not so much Buckingham. But People don't realize that.
0: I was walking around Buckingham Palace this uh, August, and there was a huge crowd, all these uh, TV crews and everything there. And it turns out that was the 20th anniversary of Diana dying. Ah. Uh. And so I just happened to be in there that day, and the media turnout was incredible. And everybody's laying flowers. at the, had a big display.
1: There are so many kids today who don't even know. Who don't she even was. know. And that's strange. No, yeah, sorry. Like like d- we we're turning these like this into like an old man's. <laughs> <story>. <laughs> I remember when we I was did. actually
0: working at uh, VH1 at the time, because that summer it was uh, Diana and Versace. Oh, and yeah. Versace and the halls of VH1. Now that's cool were, again. They were big into fashion. You know, yeah. they had the VH1 Fashion Awards and all that yeah. stuff. And then the Versace thing like sent a ripple through the whole newsroom. Everybody was bummed out. People knew him, and it was it oh, was, they knew him. Yeah, that makes some it rough people think. did. Yeah, so that was a, that was a and rough knee year. Highest
1: cost a nickel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> so okay, we'll get off London, and, and if if you couldn't do anywhere else but London, if you were like gonna I be next, yeah, where would you go? It's a tough question. Um, would it still be in Europe or would
1: you go back to India? No, I think I would pick another European one.
0: Like, you know, Madrid?
1: I've always loved Edinburgh. It's always I think I'm not unusual there. There must be something metaphysical about it because almost everyone I know who's been there has loved it. Edinburgh? Yeah. Edinburgh, yeah. Is uh, d- how are you with languages? Do you speak any? I'm Indian? terrible. Oh, really? Yeah, I can speak uh, just enough French to a f- friend the French. <laughs> unfortunately. I learned it in school and then probably forgot it, but I still think I know it, which is the worst combination. But there's something about, uh, first when I backpacked, I thought I would learn all kinds of languages, but the problem always was, if you're only in town for a few days, the minute they hear the accent, they want to practice their English with you, and so I never got a chance to learn much. And now that I'm travel writing these guides and the stuff I do for Fromers, um, I sometimes think it's an advantage not to speak the language because you get to understand a destination as your readers are going to understand it. Because if you know too much of an inside line, you're going to start suggesting things that they're not going to be able to replicate. It happens, you know, you, you you over advise, you know, thinking they can, they can get through a situation when they can't. So I think it can be handy. I can also be handy to know the language inside and out if you really want to know the, you know, but for an English language, you know, destination, which I tend to do. (laughs) Yeah. I, for some reason I have a big thing for the colonial Antipodean, uh, locations, you know, I've always had a thing for Melbourne, Australia. And I, you know, I just, I'd loved Cape Town. I don't know if there's some heritage thing in it. I don't consider myself a supremacist in any way, and I'm certainly anti-imperialist and anti-colonialist. But somehow, I i'm kind of fascinated by these multi-layered places did you like hong kong i love hong kong i like hong kong a lot yeah,
0: yeah i figured if you like those things you probably like yeah, that and I've got and a little bit of singapore one as well. of my
1: oldest friends he, i went to a grad school with him and undergrad we used to write together it's from hong kong and his 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 father was you know big real estate guy his mother is a, was a movie star so he he shows me a side of hong kong that i would never otherwise see yeah know. Because, you know, he has a driver take me around. It's incredible <laughs> to, see, to see a city, you know, from a local's eyes. And not only that, the local at the top of the food chain's eyes.
0: Well, what about America? What made you move from New York to L.A.? Why the, why the big move?
1: Yeah, I just wanted to try something different. I feel like um, i had been there a long time. Now, my, my life in New York was 21 years. I, it was mitigated by travel all the time. So I don't feel like it was a solid imprisonment on Manhattan. <laughs> but, you know, I was there for 9-11. That was lots of fun. And then I was, thinking, yeah. I was there for Hurricane Sandy again. Sort of brought back a lot of those unpleasant memories people don't consider, but there's a little PTSD involved. Um, and I just was tired of it. I was tired of living in, um, you know, a one a closet. room. closet? Yeah. I was a grown man, and I, yeah. looked, I, I, yeah. I was a college student.
0: I'm finding, as I, I've gotten older, and I lived because I lived in Chicago, New York, and then L.A. Yeah, me too. And I find that I'm at the age where it's like 20 years in New York and L.A., and I guess even in Chicago, living in the city, is about the age, like the range that people can take. Yeah. I and feel, then I after a like... while, they if they don't have kids, they still look around and go, I don't have to
1: live this way anymore.
0: <laughs> you know, there's something about yeah, it. if like, I had kids, or that I, I would have been yeah, somewhere I mean, more
1: rural by now. Me I feel too. like my trend is rural. In a way, going to L.A. from New York is a step towards rural. It sounds strange, yeah. but when you live in a box in the sky, it, having... A car and having a balcony and oh, no, easy a, living. A door with a on a, your room. That's all luxury, right there. But
0: also, I think twenty years also in one place in those cities. You think, well, if if there was something left to do in this town, I would have done it already.
1: Also, New York changed. Yeah, you know, I was there right after Madonna left. It was nineteen ninety three. You <laughs> know, it was still a rough town. People were still dying of AIDS everywhere. It was a different place. And you know, there were you would go to a diner and hang out all night and write lyrics and drink. Lukewarm coffee. Mm-hmm. All the diners closed. All all the bookstores closed. All the record stores closed. You know everything changed when it became a city where rich people park their money in 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 apartments rather. You know, but that's the true the bank of accounts. every
0: city now. You go to London, it's, it's all it's all Arabs and Russians yeah, parking changed. their money. Yeah, out here on the West Coast, it's the Chinese buying yeah. up everything and parking their money here. And but it takes like in London, you go to Kensington and and all those and Chelsea and those places, and there's nobody walking around. There's yeah. nobody. There's million, multi million dollar condos around, but tax write offs for yeah. yeah. But there's
1: nobody in them. It's safer to put their money in there than the bank. Yeah. So there's there's a lot of crime that has their proceeds have gone into London real estate. It's a huge problem, more bigger problem in London I think than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. Because it's been so rampant, and now London is so impossible to live in. Um, In Miami, it's the South Americans.
0: Yeah. You know, they're b- the Brazilians the, and the, the Argentinians and, yeah. and, and you know, they're coming in.
1: Yeah. It's just a safer thing and, and it affects us all. LA's not been as bad about that. In the hills, yeah. it's bad, but on, in the flats, which is what I call them, it's yeah, but, not I mean, as bad. But it's still incredibly expensive in LA. Right.
0: Well, the Chinese, they tend to buy more like in San Gabriel Valley yeah. and uh, Alhambra yeah. and
1: all that other stuff. But, you know, I thought I, for years, you know, you hear people say this phrase when they live in New York. They go, only in New York. Okay. I looked out my window, I was having dinner and someone was taking a dump on the sidewalk. Yeah. Only in New York. They, they say only in New York. To tolerate the intolerable as if it's adorable, <laughs> and uh, you know, I was I thought, well, I live in New York, I got Broadway, I can go do that, and I can go. And I realized it's two hundred dollars to go to Broadway now. I'm not doing the things I said I was here to do. You know, when you're vacationing in New York, you do all those things because yeah, it's great. You I love six to days. visit. Is your There's shot. no better place to visit. But to live there every single day, you know, you're not going to do all those things because you can't afford it, and it's hard. It's
0: uh, yeah. I, it's exhausting. After you start to see, like, yeah, I just lived there a couple of years, but. You would see why anybody who has the means has a place outside the city, yeah, just to escape to, like whether it's in the at the Hamptons or at the shore or in yeah. the mountains,
1: somewhere just to just like ah, yeah. And, just and, and let, the bohemianism that I went for, you know, to hang out with other writers, that wasn't so much there anymore. Not yeah. only because a lot of the writers I knew had given up and become something else or gotten married and moved right. out of town. Jackson Pollock is not there anymore. But just no, there's no place to put up your work anymore. There's no sp- space to live cheaply anymore. Well, they say there's
0: no... Uh, San Francisco's going through the same thing as well. I mean, no, why there's no training. bands or anything coming out of San Francisco because no artist can afford to live there. Mm-mm. And New York is at the same problem.
1: No, they're really good at, at designer food. <laughs> really, because it's a consumer group. You know, they're spending the money. Right. So I don't say New York is... I think we all... countries, Cities go through these phases, I, I suppose, over the long view of time. But New York sort of might be this for the next you know, even two, 20 years or so. We, you know, We may not see it change appreciably within our lifetimes who knows do you see uh london the same things happening there it's worse in london i could never live in london i love visiting but i would find it oppressive to be crawling around on the the tube going 10 miles an hour in rush hour with no air conditioning every single day of my life you know it's rough that's another great thing about being a travel writer is you can take the flavor of lots of places but it's also a curse because you can see yourself living in any of them you can imagine what life would be like in all of them. I'm going through that now, too, in
0: this whole moving phase. I yeah. had, when I went through that thing, it's like, nah, maybe I'll m- live abroad. Because I
1: like everything. In me,
0: it, too. Know. And I can pick one. Yeah. But you also need money to live in London. Yeah. Yeah. And <laughs> it's I, like, I can go there. I can live anywhere in the world. But a lot of those places that
1: I love are unfortunately expensive. You know, I love so London. It's expensive. We don't I, have the money to live necessarily where we want. Yeah. But we have been able to see so many places. So Absolutely. There is a trade-off. We've gotten lucky in some ways. And... You know, we're just not as cushy in others, I suppose. Well, where do
0: you see uh, the business, the travel business,
1: headed, uh, guidebooks and
0: things like that, and with the web and everything else? And do you see a a trend going away
1: from these influencers and websites now back to guides? Sorry to say it, guys, who are listening, but I'm hearing it already in marketing and PR that they're turning against the influencers because they don't see what they call the ROI. They don't see them. Yeah. They're not seeing it. They're like, we thought that would help, didn't. yeah, I don't, I don't see influencers being able to hang on to this for, for too long uh, un, un, unless you're just um, you know huge name, mega name. And, and even then, it's questionable of whether or not these uh, vendors are going to get anything for their money. If they're just actually converting into, into extra money for, for them, extra bookings, it's too hard to say. What do you find is the
0: biggest problem that people have that keeps them from traveling? Like, I, I understand, I mean, money's a big deal. But
1: I think especially Americans think it's a bigger
0: deal than it really is. Yeah. Consumerism. Yeah.
1: Essentially. Sort of the root of all of it. It's the problem that's sort of bringing down the influencers because they're so luxury focused. You know, they're not necessarily always experiencing authentic travel that wouldn't require a hookup. But also people who don't travel because they're spending their money on so many other things if they have any extra money at all. um, And it takes away from their ability to go anywhere. I think also in the United States, uh, having two weeks have not having a mandatory vacation allowance and only two weeks at a lot of places where that is given, it's not enough. Because a lot of us have an aunt who lives in Seattle and a brother who lives in Atlanta and we have to give them our time on vacation. So when are we gonna go? You know, most of your working people don't get to go anywhere because not just even if they had the money, they don't have the time. But if you try to bring up the idea of we should be petitioning for more vacation, it is so far down the list of problems in this country right now. <laughs> yeah. But ironically it would solve a lot of our other problems in terms of outlook. If we were able to send people to to Cairo for four or five days in their lifetime, you know they would have a completely different understanding of who a Muslim is. Right. Yeah. And I, I say that all the time. And Rick Steves actually
0: coming back to him, he brought that up yeah. when I saw him speak the other night. That I mean, if he could take every kid right out of high school and before and just give them that gap year. Well, the and Australians send, have that. Yeah, and I, just send them overseas and just just. Show them that other
1: ways to live. Yeah, then again, How, the Australians um, right now are, are almost just yes. as virulently it, racist as Americans are, at least some of them. I'd like to know a breakdown from an Australian. Are the racist? have they gone on gap years? Can you see a difference in Australia between the people who you know, went out for a couple years and what their outlook yeah. is compared to the people who didn't? I'm curious about that because I'd love to be able to draw a connection to... I do believe that travel tends to, to, to make someone's outlook more sympathetic and yeah. mild. It changed my... Yeah, my, you know, blew my mind. I I, I never left the country till I was twenty one. I grew up with evangelicals. You know, I was told that um, Gorbachev was the Antichrist because he had that birthmark. Oh, God. yeah. Oh, wow. So that's where I'm coming from. <gasps> The yeah.
0: Antichrist,
1: mm-hmm. but but that's again that's that's a function of oh, someone who's not getting out. You know,
0: don't you read the papers? Obama's the Antichrist.
1: Yeah. Did you didn't you read all this? Yeah, I had, I had a teacher once who said, and you've heard this phrase: if you have an open mind, someone is going to come along and put garbage into it. That was actually taught that in high school. <laughs> yeah, boy, there's a T-shirt. There's yeah. something. Wow, and I you know I've pretty much half my life has been in in a resistance to that, not consciously, but. You know, when I think about those kinds of things that I heard growing up, I'm kind of amazed where I am and what I've done and who I've met now. Oh, there's your book title. If if you have an open mind, someone's going to put garbage in it. (laughs) Yeah, that was my world. Uh, Not so much my family, but the people around it, yeah. My family took me traveling when I was younger, so thank goodness I had that, you know, I wasn't completely rebelling. My parents made you take me to Canada here, do this, do that, a little bit of whatever they could do to expose me to things, so I was lucky. Evangelicals seem like a very,
0: really American type thing. I mean, yeah. And uh, unique well, to at them At least the Christian evangelicals cl- yeah, 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 yeah
1: But yeah, no, they were and, and I was with the people who Sort of were the beginning of um, The politicization of religion You know, so the people Like the, like the Ralph Reed types Yeah, that's I was the gonna forefront say the in, the early, in the late 80s of Sort of, I mean, this is getting off the travel tack, but... Well, Reagan but made the, uh, uh, the when, alliance, when, the unholy Hul- alliance. A lot of the fundamentalist Christians began to perceive that their influence was slipping. They needed to find refuge in some political power in order to in, to, to survive. And that's when that sort of turned. And now it's metastasized into something else. But in the late 80s, that's when they're beginning to look for the candidates who would protect them. Uh, and, and it's, of course, gone really far since then, but... Yeah, those are, the, those are the people who would speak at my school and, and all that stuff. So what did your family think of you, they loved of it. all these travelers? Again, they're travelers. You know, they're fine with it. They were probably a little envious. My mother especially is a huge traveler, but she had kids and you know, other things. So uh, she's only discovered her travel gene, or her, her Jones <laughs> or her ability to do it when she got old enough to be able to go places. So she's all for it. She's now inviting me. You want to go to this trip? You want to go do that? So I'm thrilled for that. You know. Do you ever take her along on any of these? I have, yeah. I took my mom to Ireland uh, a couple yeah, of years gonna ago. Yeah, we're going to actually go to a driving tour of England in May. And we did the Queen Mary II together. Wow, what was that like? Uh, oh, it's great. I've done it twice now. Are it's, you a cruise person? No. Me but I, That's not to me a cruise. It's, that's like a tradition of the 1850s. You know, it's an ocean liner. So it goes from... Well, it, it's, I'm just saying that that route that people have been taking, they've been taking for hundreds of years. Where it was like uh, this one Southampton was, um, to... Her, I took her Brooklyn to um, Southampton. Okay. And I've also done it the other way, which is a little bit better because you get 25 hours a day because of the time zone changes. Oh, right, right, I right. 23 hours a day. But <laughs> um, yeah, no, I uh, I love that. So I, I like that because it, to me, it's not a cruise. There's no hula. There's no you know limbo. Yeah. There's no, uh, are you having fun? None of that. No idiot like me telling <laughs> jokes? No. Well, I don't know. I've, I don't know. I didn't see the idiot that <laughs> <clears throat> There's a library. You gotta have some entertainment. There's big band dancing. No, sure. I think I was born in the wrong decade. Yeah. You know, I'm... I'm yeah, I'm fairly cool, but I still love that stuff. Yeah,
0: you could have been on the Titanic.
1: Yeah. See? They actually, when you go over the Titanic, they say, we're going over the Titanic now. <laughs> That's cheerful. How many days? Is that a five-day crossing? Yeah, I think it's six. Okay. Six or five. They can do it in three, but they'd use too much fuel, so they just sort of drag it out so you spend more at the bar. Were you writing about it, or were you just... Yeah, I did uh, okay. once for the New York Post and once for uh, <clears throat> for Fromers, yeah. How much is a one-way trip? You can get it as little as, like, uh, 900 bucks. and Then they really? probably upgrade you in, 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 the be- in the tail end of the beginning of the season, like April or October. Yeah. <clears throat> in the middle of the season, it, it can be more expensive. But it's. I think it's worth it. You have to wear a tux three nights, wow. four nights of the week. I gotta
0: dust off my tux. It's
1: fantastic, though. Because it's great, because everyone on it is, like, 70 or 80, seemingly. And they've all, like, lived rich lives, and here are the fruits of it, and they've always wanted to do this. And they're all smart people, like sort of a different clientele than you would get like on another cruise line, I would suppose. They're Cunarders. Yeah. Um, And So you can have really fascinating conversations with them. You find out that they were, you know, scientists and, you know, professors and, and, you know, they're just sort of, and some of them have lost their partners. And so you, there's, they have men on board who will dance. Who dance with, yeah, I did a couple of those shows. Not in a dirty way, just in a. I was fascinated by these Would you like to dance way? It's lovely. I think it's adorable, but everyone is sort of upper. I mean, they have some money.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was on Crystal, which is uh, yep. a high-end cruise line like that, and they had those guys who would just dance with the ladies down in the. Yep. Down there, and I was I watched these guys every night, and they and they travel along. They travel uh, for free. Yeah, I guess they're not paid, but they do travel for free. I what they call
1: them, like companions. That's Escorts. Or something like that. or not no, escorts. Um, jiggle uh, gigolo- no. There is a word. <laughs>
0: no, it wasn't escort, but yeah,
1: it's like it's a sweet word. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's nice. Kind. It was all very sweet, yeah. but I was mean, like, boy, but, it's good to know that, that that exists. That, that's like something it, to fall back you're, on. Again, you're unplugged. I love the desert. I love the middle of the ocean. I don't love the rocking. And then that boat doesn't rock very much because it's built yeah. a special way. But I, I don't I, – you know, I'm, not, I'm not a boaty person, but I love being in the way from people. I don't know why it is. I just tend to gravitate. I love the middle of Australia. You know, I, just, <clears throat> I love Namibia. It's one of my favorite places oh, I in the been. world. Yeah, there's something about it. I think it's because so many years I've lived in the city – I just love not, Wide open spaces. Yes. Like, don't talk.
0: You know, it's kind of great. What are your thoughts on Botswana? Because I had a friend of mine is going <coughs> there this
1: Yeah, it's it. great. They've done a better job than most of the countries around there at, at maintaining uh, kind of a perfect environment without g- dumbing it up with uh, development. So they aim for a higher class of tourists. It's going to be more expensive generally than a lot of the other countries down there if you're doing safari. But it's worth it because they, they really do put a value on preservation. I've been... And Okavanga Delta, riding a makoru, and you know all through that area, it's um, beautiful. But it's again, that's part of the delta where a lot of Africa's watershed kind of dumps yeah. into it, and so it's a different kind of animal, out of hippos and crocs, than you would see in a in a drier place where animals have to find water. So it's you know you'll get lots of beautiful flowers and things like that. Whereas if you were, you know, in Namibia, for example, like Atosha, you'd have to find. Right. Where, the the, where the, the the animals will come miles just to go to the water hole A that hole you that, yeah. so that makes them easier to find.
0: Did you? I wanted to ask you. I know we got to wrap this up soon, but now I could do this all day. But what I still haven't been to Egypt. Yeah. Um,
1: thoughts on it? How long do I need if I want to go? <clears throat> we have arguments with about this on my radio show. I, I not arguments. We talk about this. I host uh, the former radio show on WABC. Get that Pawnee. plug in. Yeah, damn right.
0: not my first. How interview. many days would
1: that a week is that? <clears throat> uh, that's Saturdays every uh, Saturdays. every Saturday live call-in show. What at 3 time Eastern. would that be, Jason? Thank you. Three Eastern. Three Eastern. Heard no. in seventeen states or streamed at WABCradio.com. <laughs> you can be my third and fourth listeners. Anyway, <laughs> um, we talk about this. Some people feel it's, Egypt is not entirely safe right now because the police can't be trusted. I'm, I'm kind of on the side of things. Um, no, they go through phases. Sure. Uh, it all depends sort of who's in charge. And as they say, how much bread is in the stores is mm-hmm. really how much you can trust the police. Um, so I'm, I'm a bit nervous about Egypt. When I went there, it was like two months after the massacre in Luxor at the temple of Queen Ipshepshet, um, where a bunch of Germans were slaughtered with a machine gun. And everything seems fine. As a tourist, you can't ever tell if it's fine. <clears throat> we had a caller this past week. He had a great time. He said he didn't feel threatened at all. He had an armed guard on board the bus with him, but he didn't feel threatened at all. <laughs> yeah. So it depends on your level of, of tolerance. He also stayed in the Marriott in the middle of Cairo, so he had a very insular, high-end experience. When you know you're likely to have people protecting you, if you're going to go down a felucca if you're going to be backpacking, you know, doing your making your own way, and especially if you're a woman. I'm not 100% on the safety of Egypt right now. I'm 100% on Egypt and on Egyptians. I think they're great people. I find they're really open and welcoming and, and, and easy to get along with. And, and I think it's a great place. And the people are great. It's the culture. It's the people. It's the, the, the government that the problem is always. So I think it's a bit on the unsafe – unpredictable, I should say, side. What about a cruise down the Nile? As a the Felica. Um, I, there have been cases in the last 15 years of things of, of boats being fired upon. Yeah.
0: But, I mean, is it worth it? I mean, if, if I'm going to go all the way to Egypt,
1: I know i got to see Cairo. But I would probably do it myself. Okay. you know, But that's... I, I'm, or is it, I'm it overly, overly touristy? Where where I don't know the difference. I will do something, but I also have to think of my responsibility to tell. And often my listeners will, will be of an age where they're not going to necessarily be as nimble about changing. You know, So I, I sometimes am nervous about recommending things that I'm not confident, like my grandmother couldn't be able to do. Okay. I think I would do, I would do that. I think doing the ride down you know, to Aswan or Luxor on the, on the boat would be so much fun. But I don't know if everyone, it's for everyone, right? What
0: kind of, give me one country that you've never been to that you've been dying to go to. Switzerland. You're
1: kidding me. Can you have I never been to Switzerland? No, I don't it's believe that. It's one of those I was waiting for other people to pay. Uh, I've been it to it like 90 countries, but I've never been to Switzerland. I've always sort of skirted. I might have been through it on a train as I slept, but nothing like a true exploration. My thoughts on Switzerland is that it's, I mean,
0: physically and nature wise, one of the most beautiful places you'll see with the yeah. mountains and yeah, everything else. Uh, super clean, super safe. It's just a little, there's no. Antiseptic. Uh, yeah. And, That's that, what I, I heard. and also, it's the uh, culture, the people. It's so, such a divided. Yeah. I had some Swiss people staying with me recently, and it's just... One was from the German-speaking part of it. The other was from the French-speaking part of it. They might as well have been in two different countries. They knew nothing about each other. I mean, they, were, they didn't relate. I was like, oh my God, there's a Swiss couple here, and there's another Swiss couple. You guys can... We'll go meet and have a beer and hang out. And as soon as the Germans came in, they're oh, you brought the other Swiss people. Well, I guess it's easy to be neutral when you're polarized. Yeah, and so they're just kind of... And then there's some that speak of local... Like they said, local politics even cast way more of a shadow than national politics mean nothing. They so like your local so county it's, it's, government is a strange case. It's I would very go very the nature. <clears throat> you know, you but don't hear a lot about like, culture but. cultural identity there's nothing other than the chocolate
1: and the fondue. Yeah. Well, I want to go to the Chaplin <laughs> the museum, the Charlie Chaplin museum. I'm a big fan of silent films of all the other nerdy things I am. Okay. And I want to and they just opened about a year or two ago in his old villa and I want to Go see what they've done. Yeah, I like to, Also Patagonia. Not a country, but a place. I'd like to go there. I want to go there, too. And I'll the be- Trans-Siberian S- Railway. One day that will be on my list. But I'm not going to Russia anytime soon, because I'm not pleased with Russia. Uh, I've I not might- been. It's on my list, but it's lower. And I'm talking about uh, going to Malawi at the end of this year.
0: Wow. Which it's is a place I've always
1: wanted to go. Malawi. Yeah, okay. taking taking the, the ferry on the lake, just sort of spending four or five days just going from port to port. Were there things that you, when you started traveling, you say, I'm going to you know,
0: climb that mountain. Have you let it go? Has time, like,
1: l- yeah, I, have I, you I don't given know some if, stuff up? I don't know if I've ever been that guy. I've been more interested, like, discovering the places as they present themselves to me. I've never been like, I've got to climb this. I've got to do that. Uh, and plus, I've done a lot of the things that I wanted to do because of the way I set out to do my world trip. So, that's, I don't know if I could necessarily pinpoint one thing. But I know that things will always be turning up that I can't wait to try. Can you picture yourself staying in one place and not traveling that much? No, no. I, I'm, but I'm, for, I'm a Cancer, and so I have this push and pull between being a homebody and like <laughs> turn on the Netflix and leave me alone. And what's next? I got to get out of here. I'm going crazy. It's a terrible combination. It's very. I don't
0: know if that's a Cancer thing. I
1: have they the same say that thing. Cancers are the home oh, really? homebodies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I'm very much not like a Cancer. When I'm out of the house, I forget the house, right? And I'll be gone for months, and I'm totally content. It's very strange. Um, yeah, so I don't think I can do without travel in some way. I'll always have to live within reach of an airport, and, um, and hopefully the political climate will keep allowing us to go places. I know. As much
0: as I think that I can just, oh, man, I'm just going to get my little a piece of land and a, like a little cabin out in the mountains or something, or, and then I realize, well, wow, I still want to go places, and then the thought of driving five hours to the nearest airport, is just like, nah, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm the introverted extrovert. I mean, I want to be out, and I want to be in. And I, I get recharged both ways. And sometimes I can't take any more people. I want to go to the desert. And then I'm like, oh, where are the people? And I go back to the city. It's just... People ask me that. I was like, how can you be antisocial when you go up on stage in front of hundreds of people at night? And I go,
0: oh, easy. Well,
1: Watch that's me. That's more like you're in your own Watch zone. Me. Yeah, Yeah. Like, you've got to, you know, I understand that. You're getting like an energy almost more than a specific interaction. I think it's control, too. I mean, a lot
0: of comedians, comedians were mostly control freaks. I think Stamps especially because it's solo and we have all the... Yeah. It's just us in a, talking into a and microphone. They
1: say that a lot of comedians are on the sad side. Maybe that's not the right word, but maybe... Uh, the hell's that supposed to mean? <laughs> what? You know. See what I did there? That's the, there you go. And on the aggressive side. What the hell is that? But okay. just like, you know, uh, they're, 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 there's more like they got their own groove going on. Yeah, yeah. We're loners. Yeah, sure. which is, but again, it did, it, ironic for a traveler because travel is all about learning about other people. But it did teach me
0: to travel alone. I mean, I started yep. know, on the road in America just driving, and then I, I had never really traveled alone. Is it? so? But all of a sudden, you know, I'm not in a band. I got to go to town to town, and I'm by myself, and it was like, wait, I could do this. And then the, I would go farther away, and the towns got bigger, and then that inspired me to take my first solo trip to uh, Australia. And I was like, well, if I could do this around this country, I bet I could do it overseas, mm-hmm. and then Australia is a good starter. Because it's, you know, there's not much culture it's shock there. It's a great there. way to start. It's like... It's safe and easy, and there's no... And it's, it's almost too much like America, actually.
1: Yeah. It feels like San Diego.
0: Yeah, really. But, I mean, then I did that, and I was like, well, I can do this. And then every country was, you know, forget it. Now I want to see the world. That's but, how it started. But, you know,
1: I can go days... I mean when I, Even when I travel without, like, a true deep interaction, it's all about how, you're, how you choose to travel, right? Yeah. You can just kind of be in observational mode, from cafe to cafe and wide-eyed, or you, you can be in constantly engaging with people. And that's another thing I like about travels. You can sort of, you can alter it, you know, depending on the mood that you're in at that moment or how much you need to absorb and how much you just want to participate. Well, plug um, the,
0: the radio show again and any other websites or anything else you want to plug or any of your writings or... Now, this is the
1: part where everyone turns it off because yep, I think it's that's finished. that's right. Uh, here we go. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Uh, so WABCradio.com, radio, WABC out of New York City. You heard in about 17 states because the transmitter is really powerful. <laughs> Saturday at 3 p.m. with Pauline Fromers, the Fromers radio show, Fromers travel show. And also, of course, Fromers.com and my own website, JasonCochran.com and blah, blah, blah. You find Are you me on around. the Twitter? I'm, Are you I'm on, on the, the Twitter. I'm on the Instagram. I do all the pictures. Okay. <laughs> J.A.S. Cochran is... is And I I don't do many pictures of me shirtless, so lucky you. I do, though, uh, (laughs) lots of history and stuff. See, that's more of my jam, so you'll find a lot of uh, curiosities in there. Okay. Well, finally, how do you think all this
0: travel and all your experiences has uh, changed you as a person? And how are you different now than you would be, you think, if if you never went away
1: I think I'd be much more bookish. I think I'd be much, I'm much more, uh, the, like the seven year old shy standoffish me. Cause the more I travel, the more I realize I am more people than I thought I was. And in, in you know, the more things like, like I was saying, you know, I, my big long trip and I would do things and everyone would be surprised that I did them. I, it's nice to be surprised about what you're able to do because it redefines the future of how much more you're able to do. And I also know that, you know, we all get sad. Sometimes We all get a little depressed. We all get a little hopeless, especially now with the politics if that's your bent. But um, as long as you can travel, as long as you can get a day pack and go to some faraway beach where there's no one around, there's always some hope. You're always a release valve for you. So as bad as things get, there's still sort of a, a place to go and a way out and a, and a, and a way to restart if you, if you want to restart. So travels also, it's, it's not just like what I can do, but also sort of a relief of like, Oh, I can be anything I want to at any minute and then make that the new thing. Well, thank you so much for doing this. Yeah, it was fun. Jason Cochran, everybody. London, London, London,